Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Academia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we are being visited by a former GSA employee who just has a really cool story and some really interesting insights about cultivating a community around seafood and marine science in areas that just have no access to the ocean and how uh, young kids can kind of, you know, take hold of that spark of interest that they have and build that into an actual career, even though they may feel like they don't have those opportunities. So it's a really cool conversation. It was nice to catch up with Nicole. I didn't even say her name. We are, we're, (laughs) we're um, sitting down with Nicole Coonan, who uh, used to be a employee here at GSA and is now in Washington, DC, going back to grad school. So it was a really great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. But before we get to that, I want to remind everybody, like I always do, to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen so you can get every new episode automatically downloaded to your device as soon as it becomes available. And if you'd like to reach out to us, you can follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod or you can email us podcast at globalseafood.org. And a third way that you can get in touch with us is on our website, which is globalseafood.org slash podcast. That's right. And if you like what you hear, if you enjoy the show and you want to um, be support us a little bit, we would really appreciate it if you took a couple minutes and left us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. So with that, please enjoy this conversation that we had with Nicole and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. Okay, everyone, we are sitting down with Nicole Coonan, who is a marine industry, seafood industry expert, person, scuba diver, many different things. Former GSA employee. Yes, former GSA employee. So Nicole is a good friend of ours, good friend of the show. So welcome to Aquademia, Nicole. We're excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you, Sean. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) And you said that you've listened to the show before, so we're extra excited to have you on because you're a listener too. Definitely. When I actually first heard about GSA, the first thing I decided to look into was the Aquademia podcast. I just wanted to learn a little bit more about you guys as a company and just as, you know, the different programs that you guys offered. And that was the first thing that I thought of. And it was amazing. It was like my first introduction into um, GSA and Global Seafood. All of it. <laughs> That's so cool. I'm that glad, is awesome. I'm glad we didn't scare you away. <laughs> Not I know at Sean and Justin are pretty scary. Yeah, so That's why <laughs> no, we have Maddie guys, on the show. <laughs> very, very true. You guys gave lots of excitement. Honestly, just made me even more excited to work for the company. So, Oh, well, <laughs> we are super excited to have Nicole on with us today because Nicole has a really interesting upbringing experience with like the marine world. So before we get into that, Nicole, how about you just give us a little bit of background about who you are, where you're from, what you're doing now, all that kind of stuff. Definitely. So just a little bit of background. Um, I was born and raised in Denver, Colorado. So one of the unique factors about me is that I was not born into loving the ocean or on the ocean, for example, Um, I kind of stumbled (laughs) and fell into my love of the industry and or the oceans in general 
Um, I was born and raised there. I ended up going to school um, in Maine at the University of New England, where I studied primarily marine affairs and marine biology, where I then was able to kind of gain those skills, make those connections. Um, and then I ended up, you know, a couple of years later at GSA, where I was able to really hone in on my skills and learn more about my interest in um, global seafood production, sustainability, supply chain, everything like that, and many more in between. <laughs> did you work with the seals and the turtles at University of New England? I did not work with the seals and the turtles. I actually worked in the research lab for phytoplankton, so not as exciting or fun, unfortunately. So I dealt with, <laughs> I like to joke around and say it's literally just colored water, but the fun fact <laughs> I always add in right after that is that it. Phytoplankton is responsible for half the air that we breathe in this on our world. So, you know, they might seem small and you might seem like you're, you know, just working with colored water, but it is big in the grand scheme of things. So we express our thanks and our gratitude to <laughs> colored water. And to Nicole for, for the helping to helping the colored yes. water. <laughs> yes. So one thing that we wanted to make sure that we talk about with you is how you even got interested in marine affairs and oceans, especially growing up in Colorado. It seems like it would be a really random route for you to end up loving the ocean. Yeah, this is a topic that we've kind of talked about a little bit on a couple of other episodes with some other guests who are in like more landlocked locations. And surprisingly, they they were also in Colorado. Mm. Um, so there's something about Colorado. So, so tell us <laughs> tell us about that. Um, yeah, so my interest in the oceans started early, but kind of um, really took flight when I hit my senior year or my freshman year of high school, actually. So when I was younger, I used to watch as many documentaries as I could. I was kind of one of those nerdy kids who just loved documentaries, but primarily my favorite were the ocean documentaries, um, mainly just because when you grow up in the landlocked state... It's just, <laughs> exactly. You just don't get that exposure to the ocean. You don't think about it as much because it's so distant and so far. You only get to see it on occasion if your family ends up traveling to the ocean or any kind of instances like that. My first time going to the ocean, I think I was eight or nine um, and it was California um, and I was terrified of the water. So you know, it's just one of those things <laughs> where you don't expect to get involved or get into the ocean atmosphere or just even that there's any type of ocean related conservation going on in Colorado at all, um, which is kind of my assumption for the longest time. You know, when I started to become more and more interested in it as a career aspect for me, when I was a freshman in um, high school, a lot of people looked at me kind of like I was crazy when I had said, oh, well, I'm considering being a marine <laughs> biologist. I got a lot of laughs and a lot of like, well, how do you expect to do that in a landlocked state kind of conversations? And um, that actually hmm. intrigued me even more because, you know, you, you kind of <laughs> have to look a little bit harder for those opportunities. Um, I am thankful that I went to a very unique high school in which allowed me to really explore my passions outside of school and not just focus them inside of school. So we had really cool programming that allowed us to take off periods of time during um, certain times of the year 
and we got to explore our own interests and we got to go through and um, work with experts in the field in like an internship format, um, whether it was for two weeks. And then we worked our way up to our senior year, being able to take off a full month of school to actually work in the field with our specified interests under an internship or being watched by somebody um, within the field. So that's kind of really where my interests and my um, just the love of the ocean kind of took off. Um, and I started really where anyone would start, which was I got to get myself in the water. <laughs> so that led me to find <laughs> Nicole, a... Nicole, if you don't mind ahead. me asking... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, it, I, I don't want to interrupt, but uh, I'm going to anyway. Um, <laughs> what were some of the other things that people at your high school did for that that program? I'm curious. Like, it, obviously, we're we're going to learn your story and kind of what you went into ex- and explored. But what what were some of the other options that uh, your fellow students took advantage of? Yeah, of course, there were so many different options. So a lot of um, the people at my school had various different um, interests. So two of the people that I know actually worked in the medical field and they got an internship with surgeons. Um, Both of them really were interested in becoming Uh um, doctors and specifically going into surgery, one of which has actually now done that. She has gone into med school and is now going to be a surgeon. Um, But a lot of them did medical type stuff where they got to actually sit in and watch surgeries. One um, person who I'm actually really good friends with decided his senior year that he was going to go on a ship a sailing trip, basically. And he'd work as a crew member on the sailing trip for the entire month. He actually ended up taking multiple months off of school to actually do that and still ended up graduating on time because the flexibility that my school offered, um, they were willing to work with him if that was something he was truly interested in, uh, in which he was. Um, There were plenty of people who did uh, aerospace stuff. So one of my friends was very interested in um, space and engineering. So he worked with Lockheed Martin, um, got an internship there. So a lot of really cool things going on, um, that a lot of students yeah, were able to kind of wow. experience. That's super cool. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you go ahead and continue uh, where you were. I didn't mean to interrupt. You're, no, you're well, totally did, but... fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that brings me back to my experience, I guess, and what I picked. Um, and like I said, I had kind of been grasping for literally anything that I could do to theoretically get my feet wet and actually get myself to the ocean. And the first thing I could think of was, well, if I want to be a marine biologist, I got to be able to swim with the fishes. So I ended up going to a dive shop in the middle of Denver um, and had asked them if I could do an internship with them simultaneously taking one of their classes to go ahead and get my open water diver certification. Um, I don't think they had ever had somebody approach them with that idea before because a, the person that I had talked <laughs> to at pretty the front specific. desk, yeah, they had looked at me basically with like, I was absolutely crazy. Um, but I had spoken <laughs> with the owners and thankfully it was a really um, family-based small run dive shop business and they were willing to work with me. They needed some work done around the shop and I was willing to do it in trade for the, you know, the certification and to just really learn more about what they do um, in hopes that it would get me closer and closer to the ocean. 
Uh, so that kind of led me on my <laughs> dive master and scuba certification journey, which really just set off a bunch of other um, really cool projects for me that I was able to discover and actually work through while I was all the while I was still in Colorado. <laughs> so when you finished your dive certification, did you do your, your checkout dives in like lakes? Um, yeah. So that's the fun part. We did do them in lakes. Uh, you have the option to go to the ocean. Um, scuba certifications are one of those things where it's definitely an investment to make. So my family decided we're not going to go oh, on yeah. a full on ocean trip, but they did. The dive shop did offer a trip pretty close to us in a little small town called Santa Rosa, New Mexico. Um, and it's called the Blue Hole. And it's not to be mistaken with the one in Belize. Um, that one is <laughs> a lot warmer <laughs> and a lot nicer. This one is about, it's a glacier runoff, basically. And it's a hole oh, in the earth that is about 200 feet deep. Um, it is 61 degrees Whoa. year round. Wow. So I went and did my certification dive in the middle of January um, with 61 degree water. So I was, <laughs> to say the less, I was, I was freezing. So you were very much in dive. your wetsuit. Yes. I, had I had a dry suit, I would have been way happier. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my certification dive. It felt like that too. We did it somewhere off Gloucester and it was like the beginning of April and the water was just icy, mm. icy. And my <laughs> booties I had were too short. They were like summer booties. So I had oh, a, no. I had a space between my wetsuit of about four inches of my ankle exposed. And that just nearly killed me. I thought my feet were going to fall off. <gasps> oh. So cold. Oh, <laughs> Absolutely man. I'm sure freezing. a lot of people have stories like that. But. Yes. <laughs> when there's that much equipment, it's like hard to keep track of everything. Like you're going to inevitably forget something. Well, I and rented too. So like nothing fits you when you rent stuff. Mm, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Definitely. I know that story all too well. I've had so many equipment malfunctions yeah. due to renting. So I know that story. <laughs> so tell us more about the dive shop and what you learned there and some of the things that you did and kind of the community that you found once you started like really investing yourself in it. Definitely. Yeah. So I didn't really know uh, much about diving until I really got there. And I think the, the really cool aspect of my story was that when I was doing my dive certification, I had met um, a individual who worked there who was currently like interning and or he was he was shadowing an instructor so that he could go ahead and get his dive certification. And I didn't know it at the time, but that person would then be somewhat of a big mentor in my life. Um, he kind of saw my aspirations and knew that I wanted to do more um, with what I was given and kind of put me up to the challenge. He then got me a job at that dive shop later on, about a couple of months later, where I then worked for the remainder of my high school experience. Um, I did all of the small things I worked. They had a swim school attached to it. So I would, you know, work at the swim school, work with the kids, um, kind of build out uh, my experiences there, but all the while making all of these connections that I didn't even know were possible to make. Um, one of the owners at the time, she knew a really high-end um, shark biologist who worked in Mexico, and I ended up somehow going to a, an exhibition at the Denver Nature and Science Museum with him and her and a couple of other students um, and getting to see him 
talk about great white sharks because that's what he specialized in. I then got to see so many other programs. Um, and I found my way to a program called Teens for Oceans. Um, and that's where I really got to go on my first ever adventure um, with marine biology. It took me all the way to the British Virgin Islands with a group of teenagers, all located from Colorado, where we were able oh, wow. to essentially go and experience the ocean. But not only that, we got to really play the role of a biologist. We got to go in, we got to tag sea turtles. I have some great stories um, of tagging my first sea turtle. I got to go in and tag some sharks. Um, my first story of swimming with a shark and how I managed to not be terrified of them. Um, I now have grown to love them. <laughs> but this brought me so many opportunities that I didn't even knew, I didn't know were possible. Um, it really, it's crazy to think that a girl from... Denver, Colorado, who had never seen the ocean up until she was 10 years old or nine years old, is now diving in the middle of the Caribbean and getting to tag sea turtles all at the age <laughs> of, um, I think I was 15, 16 at the time, about a sophomore in high school at that point. So from what you, everything that you've been explaining and talking about and the, the other folks that we've had on from Colorado, it's interesting. There really seems to be this like marine ocean based community in this landlocked area and it and you, we spoke with you before you left we sat down and got to talk with you a little bit and uh, you were talking about kind of how vibrant that community is and how active they are and that's so interesting to me how does that work can you and you, you gave some really <laughs> interesting insights um when we spoke with you before but like how does that happen in in a place like that yeah like how do you think it came about like I know that you're, you probably weren't there at like the birth of why Colorado is so entrenched with like marine and the ocean. But if you have any ideas about like how this happened and like why people are so attracted to it from there, we would love to hear about it. Yeah, definitely. So, um, as I told you guys before, I know so many people that I wouldn't even imagine knowing from Colorado in some way that I've met up with in my life. Um, that have all been involved in the marine world and were all born and raised in Colorado. So you guys are very accurate when you say that there are so many people from Colorado that somehow end up in the marine field, in the marine world. And um, I, as I, I can't speak on a factual basis because I do not have any statistics as to why um, so <laughs> many people are interested in the ocean and the marine industry um, from a landlocked state like Colorado. But I can say that it does also have to do with culture, I feel like. And people from Colorado, um, not to generalize or anything, but we are very active and a very environmentally driven state. We have a lot of people who just love and enjoy being outdoors. And um, a lot of the times I feel like people in Colorado don't realize how much of effect they can have on the ocean. And a lot of that drives people to actually, you know, find their love for it. I know everyone has their unique story from Colorado as to why they fell in love with the ocean. I've heard anything from, oh, I used to watch Jaws, I watched Jaws as a kid and now I'm, I was terrified of sharks and that just drove me to be obsessed with it from, oh, I used to have grandparents who lived on the East Coast who used to allow me to go up to Maine 
every summer and I just spent all of my summers uh, by the ocean. Uh, that was my professor's story. She's from Colorado and she actually ended up teaching me at the University of New England and she was you know, she had come up to Maine every couple of years over the summer, and that's where she found her love for the ocean. So I feel like everyone has their unique connection, uh, but I think it always starts with just the curiosity and kind of goes from there. I've, I've met so many people who have such a passion for the ocean, so many nonprofits, programs that you wouldn't think are based in Colorado, are now based in Colorado for ocean conservation and um you know, just seafood in general, the industry, everything kind of combined, you'll find so much going on in Colorado, but you wouldn't imagine or, you know, the normal person wouldn't think like, oh, this is a landlocked state. But you have all of these professionals in the industry who do actually live and work in Colorado and are making a difference in our, um, in our oceans and the industry itself. It's interesting what you said about curiosity because I feel like that makes so much sense. It's kind of like how that cliche saying like you always want what you can't have. Like right. maybe it really is just as simple as that and it stems back to um, it's like the inflection point of Coloradans. I don't know how you actually say that. Is it yep, Coloradans? You, you said it right. You Col said it right. Coloradans. Okay. Coloradans. <laughs> Coloradans. <laughs> obviously have a huge love for the outdoors and then because they aren't near the ocean it's like kind of a mystery and they're intrigued by it so maybe it's just as simple as that's where those two things meet it's almost like the kid looking up at the sky at night right and like dreaming what it'd be like to like go up into space and try to figure <laughs> out like all right you know you you start gaining this curiosity and this obsession and learning as much as you can and then one day you're going to find a way to get on on a space shuttle, you know, like, mm -hmm. like not, yeah. obviously that's a more drastic <laughs> comparison, but like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not quite attainable where you are when you're growing up there. And then once you get older and you start realizing the resources that you have, you can, you combine this, this curiosity that you've had with the opportunities you're, you're presented with and you can actually go after it. So I, I imagine that's definitely. how it works for a lot of people. I would definitely agree. Like I said, um, so many people in Colorado just, you know, I think it's curiosity and just a love of our environment um, and just a drive to know more about things um, that they didn't know before. And I think that's something that drove me really, you know, I, it's nothing, I don't think there's ever a moment where I'm like, that's it. I want to be a marine biologist. I think it just was, you know, so many things in my life put me in that direction and I kept checking off the boxes and the boxes kept you know, rewarding me with more. And that's kind of when I decided, you know, I'm going to take that risk. I'm really going to, I'm going to work for it and see if I can make that happen. And, you know, I'm going to take that risk and leave Colorado knowing that um, I'm hopeful that there'll be someday where there's enough of the people in the industry for me to be able to come back and actually do what I love and live in a state that I love as well. So there is that. <laughs> yeah. It harkens back to our episode that we did with Ken Corporan. I think our, I think our quote for that was, if you build bridges, you have to go where the rivers are, right? So I think yep. if people are willing to chase, literally physically chase what they, what they want, you're going to be able to achieve it. And so I'm sure that's really inspiring for people who are in these landlocked areas who may think that like, oh, I'll, I'll, there's no chance that I'll ever be able to do that kind of work just because I, I live here. But I think hearing that story is, is really inspiring. Do you think in other landlocked areas, do you think this is, I guess my question is, do you think this is unique to Colorado and specifically the Denver area where you grew up, 
Or do you think there's pockets like this in other landlocked parts of the states? Oh, no, I believe there's pockets like this all over the country. Um, I had so many classmates who were from Midwestern states that didn't have, you know, any really relation to the ocean, but the same story. Um, I don't know if they have as much uh, diving going on. I think that 100% plays into um, the aspect of the fitness and just the outdoor adventure style and personality of just the state of Colorado. Mm -hmm. Um, but as far as just the, the general interest in marine biology, I can't tell you how many classmates I had at the university of new England who were from Midwestern or landlocked States. Um, I think that it's a lot of the times overlooked or if, you know, most people understand that you have to travel to, you know, be a marine biologist to the water. Um, and I, like, I 100% agree, considering I did that, I did travel to the ocean, but I don't think that's the end all be all. I know so many people in the industry who are working in Colorado, making change and doing effective things from a landlocked state. And I think the biggest misconception with living in a landlocked state is that you don't affect the ocean because you're so far from it. Um, there are a lot of different ways that you can, you know, teach and work with the curriculums in Colorado to teach you more and more about the ocean because, you know, we have watersheds, what we do on our, you know, in our landlocked areas with farming and all of that, that eventually does go to the ocean. We have the Colorado River, which makes its way all the way through the West Coast, all the way to output right into the California Baja area ocean um that's an effect and a connection right there so although you're not you know directly on the water you still are connected in so many different ways yeah i love that i think that that's such a great point and that's something that also tends to be a theme on the podcast is like we don't tend to think about our impact in like a larger scale like that but it really everything impacts each other and that's a perfect example of that so something that we've, we've talked to a few different people on the podcast before who have studied various seafood-centric things in college, and most of those people have studied aquaculture-related subjects, but I don't think we've talked to anybody that studied actual marine affairs in college. So I think it would be really interesting if you just gave us a little bit of like a bird's eye view of what your education was like in college, because I'm sure that there are a lot of listeners that would be interested in studying something similar if they're of a, a younger age. Definitely. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. That was one of my main reasons why I picked the University of New England. So I stumbled across. Um, uh, pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> That is the reason why I basically got myself out there is because I saw that marine affairs program. You know, that was something that really intrigued me. I said, okay, I'm, I know what marine biology is. I know what oceanography is. But what in the world is marine affairs and how does that play a role? And <laughs> as I got there, I, I met with the professor, which is the same one that I was actually talking about from Colorado. Um, her name is Susan Faraday. And she kind of worked with me and talked me through why I, why this program would be a good fit for me. Because I had actually the intention of going in as a marine biology student. Um, I had my mindset on that. That is something that is, you know, you're very into research, you're into science. 
you have all that background, you love doing that. Whereas marine affairs takes a completely different spin on it. You have the marine biology background, you get half of those classes. So I took classes like marine biology one and two. I took uh, the dreaded oceanography course, unless you love it. It is very technical. Um, (laughs) Me and my friend spent night after night stressing over that course, that's for sure. Um, You take those general chemistry courses, those math courses, but on top of that, For the Marine Affairs program, you're also taking policy and governance courses and legal courses, which adds a whole new dimension to the actual degree. So I didn't just take courses that would educate me on marine biology, but I also took courses that educated me on the laws and the regulations that could help sustain and prevent um, the depletion of our oceans. So I took classes like ocean governance and law and policy, I took a class that's called science and society that looks at the comparison between um, having a, a a culture, a world with humans and balancing that with our oceans. And how do we, how do we work as scientists and as community members in a way that we're working towards one goal? You know, that, that class specifically took us on a lovely field trip all the way up to the Fisherman's Forum in Rockland, Maine. I remember that was one of the craziest experiences I've ever had because you just put all three components of the fisheries. It is very far up there. You just really in like that northern Maine area where you're talking to fishermen, you're talking to politicians, and you're talking to scientists, and you're putting them all in one room and letting them hash it out because, you know, sometimes that's just how things have to happen. Uh, was it really intense and was I scared at some points? Yes. Uh, having (laughs) fishermen who are very, very strongly, they strongly believe in what they do. It's a family culture. It's, it's their livelihood. It's their business. But you also have scientists who are also passionate about what they care about and what they want for the oceans. And then you throw in politicians into the mix and you're just got a really somewhat of a bloodbath, but somehow they're all working together to at least (laughs) discuss the issues that are going on and to work towards, um, you know, coming up with those, those remedies or the conclusion or, you know, the solutions to some of the big name problems that are facing our oceans today was definitely a whirlwind and a great experience. But that marine affairs program is kind of what that, that's what it encapsulates. It's just, that's what encapsulates. That's the word. I think that's word. (laughs) I don't know. Um, It is just kind of, There we go. Yep. It is just kind of the ultimate. (laughs) That's what the marine affairs degree is about. It's taking every aspect. You're looking at it from a legal point of view. You're looking at it from a political point of view, from a regulation point of view, from a scientific point of view, and from a community point of view and putting it all together into one degree. It sounds a lot, a lot of like a lot going on, but it was really informative. And I feel like (laughs) I have a more well-rounded education because of it. I can say, oh, I understand the marine biology and don't get me wrong, I can geek out over science any day. But I also understand the regulations and what goes into governing our oceans to make sure that the oceans that we love and we like to study are also sustained for the futures to come. That reminds me a lot of what I actually majored in in college. So I studied global environmental studies, which is the synthesis of environmental science, international relations, politics, history, And it's like this mishmash of all of these things that seem like they aren't very related when in reality, none of them can exist without the other. And I think that that's what's so cool about marine affairs is like it's bringing together 
these forces that some people might see as opposing forces, but in actuality, they they need to counterbalance each other in order for our oceans to function in like a healthy, responsible way. That Definitely. does not really sound like what I studied. <laughs> I can't make a similar comparison, but I can make a comparison since we're talking about our, our experiences in college. I can make a comparison to what you did, Nicole, in that I went to school not knowing what I was going to do. I, I, I knew I was going to do aquaculture, but I didn't know uh, what aquaculture was. I'd never heard that word before. <laughs> yeah. What? The reason I chose that major, I, I wanted to do marine biology. However, I was going to the University of Rhode Island and the University of New Hampshire had a marine biology program. And if you did a program that your state school does not offer, you got a tuition break, yep. regional tuition program. So I chose aquaculture because it looked like it had a lot of the similar coursework as marine biology. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but it's saving me $11,000 a year. So I'm going to go ahead and, and major in that. And I found out what aquaculture was my first semester of college in the class in aquaculture 101. So, in actual aquaculture 101. Yeah. Wow. So that, I, I can relate to that kind of like going in, like talking to the teachers and being like, what is this program? That's interesting. <laughs> um, but again, you know, it's, it's, it's more stories of like, put yourself out there and, and see, see what, you know, th- cast a line and see what bites. <laughs> <laughs> and then I ended up moving into communications. So I don't I'm all over the place. I can't. <laughs> well, that's also kind of similar to Nicole's story of how she... Like in college, you were more, it seems like a little bit more hands-on, like with your phytoplankton lab. And then you moved to GSA where you were doing a little bit more of like, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily call it governance, but it's like standards and certification. So it's not as much hands-on work. Yeah. And so now that you've had both of those experiences, where do you see yourself going in the future? Like what is what are some aspects of the marine world that you see yourself pursuing in the next few years? Yeah, definitely. I think GSA really helped me to open my eyes to different possibilities within um honestly just the career itself. You know, when you think about marine biology, you kind of think of that stereotypical person who spends all their days on a boat, is doing really cool things, and then you really get into it and you're like, oh, that's actually not what it's like 24-7. You're in a lab 24-7 working, creating <laughs> a lot pieces, of data entry. <laughs> a lot of data, a lot of that. And I, I think I learned that the hard way. I think that was one of those things where I'm so grateful I did work in the lab because it gave me the information that I needed to decide that wasn't what I saw in my future. It wasn't what I wanted for myself. And, you know, I knew that I loved talking with people and communicating, which led me to kind of my position with GSA and that role of, you know, working with the facilities and getting them certified and being that liaison for them to help them and assist them through the certification process. And um, I think that really gave me a, a whole different outlook on Uh, the marine and the aquaculture industry in and of itself. And now, you know, my future goals, I I haven't really dropped the policy or the governance um, aspect of it. I really, I really see myself um, wanting to work in the governmental field inside of marine policy. So I want to work to start developing new policies, new regulations to help um, assist all of the work that programs and companies like GSA are doing to help regulate and to really work through some of the, the bigger issues that are, you know, facing our um, world's oceans and our aquaculture industries. I really, I like policy. I'm that weird person who 
can look at law and honestly say, that's pretty cool. That's really cool what something in that's written into a governmental document can actually dictate with how and what you do and why you do it and what's the reasoning behind it. All of that honestly fascinates me. So, I mean, that's really where I see my future going. I am um, pursuing my master's this coming January in um, uh, my master's in public administration, which is working on the nonprofit governmental side and being able to, you know, hone my skills in and management and really just, you know, work to build some of the skills that can get me to that dream position that I'm looking for. I really want to immerse myself in the culture. I just uh, currently moved to D.C. Um, so I'm in a great place to work in the government and, to, to, you know, to make those differences. There's a lot of really cool nonprofits down here that do a lot of really awesome work um, with the ocean. And I'm really just excited to take what I learned in Colorado, which was, you know, putting myself out there, learning how to network, learning how to talk to people and really, you know, doing the same here, really working with people and seeing what opportunities are out there for me and working with them to really, you know, make those connections. And I thought what would be the perfect thing was to, you know, start advancing my career by going back to school and making sure I have the qualifications to get me there. But also in the meantime, start networking and meeting people and talking about things because that's that's how you get things done is you talk about it and you work through it. So how does this all tie back to a landlocked state like Colorado? And how is it connected? How How is Colorado connected into the seafood industry? So it's kind of a two-part question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I definitely. want to bring it back to that because I think that's, I think that looking at uh a seafood industry and a seafood community within an area like that is going to be something that's really interesting to our listeners. So I don't want to, I don't want to lose sight of that either. No, definitely. So looking back into how this all ties back to Colorado, it's really just, you know, working towards uh, allowing and creating opportunities for people in landlocked states to actually learn about um, marine ecosystems and our fisheries and our programs and even aquaculture in school. I mean, when I went to high school, learning about marine biology was a, you know, you don't see that. That wasn't in our curriculum. That wasn't a science course that we took, right. you know. Yeah. It's very different the types of classes that you take at the high school level here in, you know, per se Maine up in New Hampshire or Maine versus what you'll take in Denver, Colorado or a landlocked state like that. You know, the curriculum that you're teaching, it's really creating and being that voice and bringing that education to those states to really offer students at a young age the opportunity to actually understand and develop their interest. I mean, I wouldn't be able to tell you confidently that there's a lot of people in the state of Colorado who actually know what aquaculture is um, or really truly understands right. it like yourself, Sean. Like you might know and think you know what it is, but I'm pretty positive there's a lot of people in Colorado who might think they've heard the word before and they understand it or they they look at fish and they're like oh they say that can't be farmed fish they know what farmed fish is but they don't know what aquaculture is so really bringing it back to the seafood yep, industry exactly. is you know working to work with these um, policies these governments the education whatever it may be 
to actually start educating and allowing that type of education in landlocked states just because it's out of the norm and it doesn't seem like it affects a landlocked state, really building that into curriculum because there's, I can guarantee you, there's a lot of students just like me going through whatever I went through right now in Colorado trying to learn about marine biology and trying to gauge their interest. But some of the schools, they didn't, they might not go to a school like I went to where they offered me that option to really explore my personal interests. They might just have to go with whatever curriculum and whatever classes are offered to them. And in that case, I think really building out and working to have programs in place all over the country that allow students to really explore their passion for aquaculture, for marine biology, for marine affairs, for governance, whatever it may be, you know, giving them that option. Uh, It might be a lot to ask and a lot to work towards, but it's something that I think is really beneficial and super necessary in the future going forward when you're talking about the aspect, you know, it's not just the people on the coast affecting the ocean. It is everybody affects the ocean. So we got to start looking at it from that type of lens. Yeah, I was going to ask if you know of any programs or if you've heard of anything that can help to kind of nurture that curiosity and, and expose students to some of these fields that they might not have exposure to? Definitely. I would 100% check out um, Ocean First Institute. That is an institute. It's also a dive shop, which is a fun fact. It's up in Boulder, Colorado, and it's ran um, by a mentor of mine. Uh, She also worked with Teens for Oceans when I did that lovely trip down to the British Virgin Islands where they actually teach students and youth at a young age. And literally, they're doing classes and teaching and working with young um, young individuals and educating them on ocean, anything ocean, you know, they're talking about the fisheries and the streams, you know, we, we talk about the runoff, you know, Colorado River is a big thing in Colorado. They're working with that. They're educating people. They're having events where you're going up and cleaning the oceans. They're really getting people excited and involved. Um, as far as some of the other programs, like I said, Teens for Oceans um, is a great program. I'm not sure if they're still doing as much as they used to be doing, but I'd always recommend checking them out. And then honestly, just looking on your your resources, really um, taking that risk and going to that random dive shop in the middle of nowhere and asking them what options they have, who they know, because you know, everyone in the ocean industry, I feel like, has some weird connection to each other. So it's just about putting yourself out there <laughs> yeah, and really true. It's too seeking, true. like seeking those opportunities. I know it's like scary and nerve wracking, but networking nowadays, I feel like it's, it's such a great tool. Um, and it's never too early to start. You you can be at just a high schooler and have people laugh at you and look at you like, what are you asking? What do you want this? But I mean, I did that. I took a chance and it ended up changing my life for the better and really took my like started my career and really allowed me to pursue what I wanted to with the confidence of everyone else behind me without them having to worry about what is this girl doing? She's getting herself into something she has no idea. Whereas I went into college having <laughs> so much experience already with the ocean and just even, you know, worked even harder for the career that I wanted and the love that I had and the passion that I had for it. And look at you now. And look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Maddie, what do you think? You got anything else? I just am thinking like listening to you speak and all of your experiences and how well-spoken you are, I'm sure that there are going to be people that listen to this episode that would love to connect with you and reach out to you. So what is the best way for people to reach out? Are you on LinkedIn? Is that the easiest way? Yeah, definitely. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I believe I'm friends with both you and Sean, Maddie. So 
I am on LinkedIn as well as feel free to reach out to my email. I believe it is on my LinkedIn. I'd be happy to answer questions or honestly just talk with you if you're frustrated, if you're a college graduate and you're frustrated about where you want to go next, if you're a high school student who's looking for bigger opportunities in a landlocked state and you're just stuck and you need someone to point you in the right direction, I'd be happy to discuss that and honestly just be a listening ear to anyone. I'd love to you know, give what little advice I have. I'm, I'm still pretty young in my career, but I always would love to mentor and just, you know, have those conversations with people. You see, listeners, this is why having Nicole go back to school and move down to D.C. was just a monumental loss for us here <laughs> at GSA. It's too true, too true. We we miss her dearly, but we're glad, Nicole, we're glad you were able to, to get back on. And uh, I would love to have you back on again. Maybe we can do some type of like, forum or roundtable thing uh, about topics like this. I really like the idea of finding ways to, like I said, nurture that curiosity in young people that don't think that they're ever going to be able to have the opportunities to explore these topics that they're interested in because those opportunities are out there and we just need to help them make the right connections. So I think that's really important. I think that's my big takeaway from the conversation that we had today. And uh, I want to really thank you for sharing your story and, and uh, you know, some insights about these, just these fascinating communities that are growing and flourishing in areas where you don't think they would. I just think that's fascinating to me. So thank you again, Nicole. Really appreciate it. Thank you yeah, guys. For coming I appreciate on. it. I appreciate it. Thank you both. I really appreciate and- being able to share my experiences and hopefully it helps one person. If that, that, that makes it worth it enough right there. So for sure. So lastly, before we close out, mm-hmm. is there anything else that you want to say uh, or get out there uh, while you have the platform? I think I've I've said all that I can say. You know, I'm just so grateful for um, GSA, and they they afforded me an opportunity that I am inter like internally grateful for. I I loved my experiences there. I'm still friends with everyone that I've worked with. I'm talking to them on a you know a weekly basis, checking in, and honestly. Find yourself a good community <laughs> and they will, you know, be good to them and they'll be good to you. That's honestly all I have to say. And yeah, thank you so much. I'm just so grateful. Perfect. That was a fantastic way to wrap up. Thank you again so much, Nicole, for coming on the show. And we will definitely be talking to you soon. Sure. Thanks, Nicole. Thank you. Folks, that was our conversation with Nicole Coonan. Thank you so much, Nicole, for coming on the show. We've loved talking with you. As we mentioned earlier, if you'd like to get in touch with Nicole, we'll have all of those links in the show notes, along with some further resources and other links that you should definitely check out. That's right. Please remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen so you can get every new episode on your phone as soon as it's available. Be sure to reach out to us on Twitter at AquademiaPod or on our website, globalseafood.org slash podcast. And lastly, you know what it is. Leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us out, and we appreciate everybody that has already done that. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Ciao.